You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. And my co-host today is Ray. Go ahead, Ray. Give a little, give a little shout out. What's up? I'm Ray Dietrich from Thin Blue Liner, and I'm just a an old 17-year-old cop who kind of just tells it how it is now and, and pisses people off mostly, but I am also the co-host. And that's what we love to do. If we can't piss somebody off, we're not doing our job. So on this show, we talk about all things law enforcement. So let's, let's uh, do the Randy and Ray show today, shall we, Ray? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So let's start off with a positive story for a change. Because normally we don't really have a lot of positivity about the cops winning. So let's talk about, let's talk about an incident that uh, grabbed my, my attention. You know, we all know that, that the wearing of body cams and dash cams have become not only, uh, not only popular, but actually required in a lot of places because of the distrust of law enforcement and uh, much of the uh, the political um, elite uh, demanded that that the police, you know, be uh, recording everything that they do during the day to protect the, the 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 poor, unsuspecting public from the police. But the reality has proven much different, hasn't it, Ray? Oh, absolutely! It, it flipped the script on them. Yeah, it did. It did flip the script on them. And and this case that I'm going to talk about is a perfect example of that. So, an officer in Georgia. Makes a car stop. This is out of a car stop in 2016. Um, female motorist. Uh, her uh, registration was suspended. Her license was uh, revoked, I believe. And he um, he made an arrest in this set of circumstances. And you can see in the dash cam and the body cam, um, the, you know, their whole the whole stop is is recorded. And he does a quick pat down of her, puts her in the car, and off they go. Well, um, a week later, she goes to the police claiming that this officer sexually assaulted her during the car stop. And it was very graphic what she said, that he, uh, that he put his hands inside of her and, and that he uh, molested her and fondled her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the police agency requested the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to investigate. Now, but... Now, let me ask you something, Ray. In, in your experience as a cop all those years, what, is the, what are the ramifications of someone making a complaint of this nature? Oh, it, it, it can ruin an officer's life straight up. You, you have internal investigations. You have criminal investigations. You have perception problems of what everyone thinks of you that maybe you did do this heinous act that, was, that you're accused of. This kind of stuff can follow you around for a long time. Um, you can end up in, in, in civil court for a long time and just an absolute mess. Guys can get divorces over this kinds of stuff. It can tear up your family. It's, it's an absolute mess. And it used to be really hard to, uh, to prove otherwise. Yeah, back before there were dash cams and body cams, it was he said, she said. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I for one, even though there, there are things I don't like about being under basically, you know, continual surveillance, if you will. Um, the reality is that, that these body cams and dash cams have saved a whole bunch of cops' careers because it's revealed the, the truth in so many cases. Well, 
in this particular case, um, all of the tapes were reviewed and, and the reality was found that she made the whole damn thing up. No. I know, it's shocking. But here's, here's the craziness. So she hires a lawyer, of course. She's, she intends to sue, et cetera, and so forth. Well, when they show the attorney all of the evidence and all of the tapes, instead of saying, well, um, okay, sorry about that, no apologies. In fact, quite the opposite. They claimed now that there was a cover-up, that, that the tapes were altered, and that and it, so she continued with this, with this baseless allegation. Well, they wound up charging her with false information. But well, here's what here's the best part of this story: the officer sued her personally for defamation of character. And guess what? What what happened? What happened? He won. Yes, that's <laughs> what's up. How he much did he get? One hundred thirty-one thousand dollars. See, that, that's what I'm talking about. It, it's so nice. And, and like me, I was someone who like fought the body cams tooth and nail, like all the way. And I just finally gave up. Right. And um, it's really, really nice to see these things, you know, the flip, the script get flipped on some people and, and use them to, to protect these officers to show what actually happened. Um, com the complaints and, and allegations against cops in the street have, you know, I worked as a patrol sergeant. I know you did too. Your, your phone used to ring with ridiculous complaints you know would not be true. And you used to have to waste a lot of time and energy to get to the bottom of those things. These yeah. body cams are, are actually working out in our favor. I, I'm not really into the constant surveillance as well, but um, you know there is a place for them. And it sure is nice to see somebody use them and get paid for, for having their life screwed up. I believe it's yeah. a couple of years since that, that initial stop too. This yeah. Yeah. 2016. Yeah, exactly. So for three, three and a half years, this guy's life has been upside down. Half the department's probably looking at him like maybe he did it or, you know, you just never know what kind of circumstances, what happened in his personal life. He absolutely deserves to get paid. I'm glad to see it. Me too. Me too. And this is uh, I, but you know, the funny part is to the bitter end, these, this lawyer, um, the lawyer's statement after it was, well, this could have a chilling effect on people reporting misconduct. <laughs> Nothing about the fact that she's a liar and falsely accused this, this officer. Nothing. It's, oh, this could have a chilling effect. Well, it could have a chilling effect on my clients doing uh, false complaints and me getting paid settlements is, is what this is really about. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 100%. You know, they're complaining about the truth coming out. So you know, I'm not sure what the complaint is there when it's clear, clear evidence on video. And this went all the way. This went to trial. So this is, I, this is a, in my book, this is a check mark for the good guys. 100%. Glad to see it. So I want to uh, let's stay with a with another positive story. Um, this one out of New York Police Department, and uh, I just want to do a quick shout out about this case because this this is amazing police work by uh, by an officer. Um, the headline is this: Quick thinking NYPD cop saves mom from killing herself and her baby. <laughs> so here's what happened. Um, a postpartum depressed Brooklyn mom was moments away from killing herself and her six-month-old baby. But a uh, gun shop owner in the Poconos and a quick-thinking NYPD cop worked together to save her. So here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the facts about this, this case. So this woman, 27 years old, 
She lives in Pennsylvania, but she's been staying with some family in Brooklyn. And um, she started sending disturbing text messages to her mother and to her sister. And uh, they were basically, they, she told her mom and her sister that she planned to kill herself and her baby. So they called the police. NYPD got there, but she was already gone. And now they're in a desperate search, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, find her. And this officer was smart enough to, um, she had the, the number of the cell phone and she had, uh, she had the cell phone pinged and saw the, where the, the, the uh, route that this woman was taking and realized that she's going back to Pennsylvania. So realizing that um, guns are easier to buy in Pennsylvania I, and how she made, how she connected the, the dots to this is really revealing of how good a cop she is. She thought, you know what? I'm going to contact Pennsylvania State Police because there's a possibility that she's going to go buy a gun and kill herself and her baby. So what they did was they notified all of the gun shop owners along that route. And sure as hell, she went into the gun shop to buy a gun. And the, and the owner had been, had been warned, and, they, and the owner of the, of the gun shop stalled her until the police could get there and take her into custody, get her some help, and, and, and save the baby. That is good policing. 100 percent that, that's that's what you hope that all the officers are out there doing that kind of extra effort ex, you know extra thinking um and really that's that shows how much this officer cares to be honest like was all of that required in that call probably not that that's going beyond and, and, and above what what's required and an awesome show of you know cops actually caring it's not it's not that the mean bad cop just kill everyone in, the, in their path uh, reality, you know, it's it's people care and and try to to take these calls and and, and get a good conclusion to them where people aren't getting hurt. It's good job. I know. That's a great job, and and uh, that that officer needs to be a detective because 100%. that that is some that is amazing policing, amazing. Absolutely, time to uh, for a promotion on, on on that one for yep. sure. Yep. So big shout out to the NYPD and to this officer in particular. Uh, uh, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. So we, got, we uh, have positive stuff happening, Randy. What's going on? What, what's happening? <laughs> and you know, and it's actually making the news. That's right. So that's that's even more. That's even more encouraging. You know, think, things could be changing. I don't know. We'll see about the rest of the show, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I don't have anything more. That's I just I just blew it all right there. <laughs> I have one more positive coming. So at least right. we have that. All yeah, right. The, the uh, the school shooting had just happened in Southern California. It happened in LA County, just north of the city, in, a, in an area called uh, Saugus or, or Santa Clarita. Um, it's a county area patrolled by by LA County Sheriff. Ugly, you know, ugly scene. Sixteen year old kid rolls in uh, with a handgun, um, kills two, kills himself. I think I believe shoots another or two. Um, but here's the story that that that's starting to get out is who the actual first responders were to this shooting. It turns out it was three off-duty cops dropping off their kids at the school, heard the shooting, did what cops do. They run towards gunfire, even if on their days off, without vests, without equipment, just with their handguns that they have concealed. They, they, an L.A. County sheriff, an LAPD cop, and an Inglewood PD cop all responded. They were the first to arrive, the very first to arrive. They, they found the, the shooter, 
got the gun um, and started giving first aid and directing first responder units into the location. So, you know, that the, uh, there's a couple things going on there. Obviously great, great work by those cops to, to do what they, they do, right? Like it's, it's no surprise to us seeing that cops run towards gunfire, um, no matter what, what the odds are, especially with their kids there, of course, they're going to be even more amped up, but yeah, you know, it, there's an argument, you know, I, I'm a big second amendment guy and I'm in California where, you know, guns are, are not easy to come by, but, but look what happens when good guys have guns, you know, off duty cops or not. Uh, good guys got in there and were the first ones to, to able to respond and, and take those actions. Um, there's something to be said about that, you know, just, just from that aspect, but Hey, great, great job to those three cops that did that. You know, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, you know, there are, there's a, a federal law. It's called the law enforcement officer safety act. M many uh, people are unaware of this, that this federal law came under, um, came into being under George W. Bush. And the law enforcement tried to get this on under Clinton, under uh, other Democratic presidents, and they just wouldn't do it. But under George Bush, they did enact this. And the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act says that any law enforcement officer, whether they are active duty or retired in good standing, is allowed to carry a weapon concealed in every single state. Before, you had to have a CCW permit in, in whatever state you were going to carry it. And of course, that's, you know, an almost an impossible thing to do. But um, because, because of that, officers around the country retired, you know, this makes a, a false, excuse me, a, a force multiplier, if you will, because it puts a lot more good guys with guns out on the street than ever before. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, good guys with guns can, can take action against bad things happening before responding units can get there most of the time. Like, that, that's the reality. Um, it's a cleanup job a lot of times for the first units respond to, especially to active shootings. So uh, I'm glad that law's in the books and, and, and these guys did a great job. You know, one second you're dropping off your kid at school and the next second you're taking on active shooters. You know, that, that's, what, that's the reality of where we're at today. You know, I want to talk... <clears throat> There's something that's about to take place that I want to share with my listeners. And uh, it's, about, it's about the organization that, uh, that I founded, The Wounded Blue. Uh, for those of you who are listening to and, and don't know about this organization, uh, it's called The Wounded Blue. And it's the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. And I, uh, I had never intended to create this organization. But um, when I left uh, service, when I retired from the department, I had so many officers contact me telling me these heartbreaking stories about how they were treated, not given the proper medical attention, uh, not given any financial um, uh, uh, guidance or given the, the, the resources to even feed their family after they were injured and disabled, that I had to create this organization. So Wounded Blue has been in existence, actually launched during Police Week, May of this year. And uh, my, my peer advocate support team, made up of 20 officers from all over the country, all who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed over, has already dealt, just since our inception, with more than 2,000 individual officers across the United States. And something happened this week that I... I want to tell people about because I'm very, very proud of, of this organization and what we are accomplishing. 
And that is, now think how weird this is. I, wanna, I, I get, a, I get a, a call from an individual who, who I had interviewed on this radio show, on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, several years ago. And this, this individual was uh, doing some great work. And, and uh, what this individual was doing was providing uh, really um, high-tech, uh, and expensive tourniquets to different police agencies. Well, he contacted me and he said, Randy, I've got 200 tourniquets I want to give away. Can you, can you help me find a, 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 a needy department? And I said, what perfect, what a perfect opportunity for the wounded blue to become involved. And so while I am thinking about this, I get a phone call from the president of uh, the El Paso Police Wives Association. And she comes to me, I've never met her before, but she follows my radio program and, and Facebook and says, my husband and, and, and several other officers were at the scene of the shooting down in Walmart and they didn't have tourniquets and, and they really feel like that would have been um, really beneficial under these circumstances. Can you find somebody that might want to donate tourniquets? Wow. Now, how weird is that? That's crazy how that works out. So I said, as a matter of fact, your timing's pretty damn good. And um, uh, so in the last few days, I've been working with the uh, El Paso uh, police chief and the uh, public information office, along with coordinating um, with, uh, with this donor's tourniquets. And when I, when I told him about it, uh, he said, well, Randy, how many, how many cops do they have there that need them? And so I contacted El Paso and they said, well, we have 600 officers that could, that could, that could utilize this. That's a big expense, man. So I, I contacted them. I said, they got 600 cops. He said, done deal. I'm going to donate wow. them all. No so, way. Yeah. Yeah. So that we're, we're working on that right now, but this is the wounded blues mission is to improve the lives of injured, disabled law enforcement officers, whether that injury is physical or emotional. So um, this is a great way to, um, to even step up our game and play a role in saving the lives of our, of our law enforcement officers. So I'm really proud that, that we're gonna be taking a, a part in this. And uh, for my, my listeners, um, I urge you to go to our website, thewoundedblue.org, and join us. We now ha have memberships available for both civilians who want to support law enforcement and law enforcement officers themselves who can assist each other and create a much more cohesive team, bring unity to policing. And it's all for, for a, um, an associate membership for a civilian. It's $24. You get a sticker for your car. It's got the decal of the wounded blue. You get a document holder um, identifying you as a supporter of law enforcement. You get discounts to 300,000 businesses across the United States and you get a new newsletter. And for police officers and former police officers, you get all that, plus you get the ability to take part in CAPER. CAPER is the Confidential Assistance Program for Emergency Responders, and this is unbelievable. You get access to licensed psychologists for post-traumatic stress and other related, uh, related um, matters, and so does your family for 10 bucks a month. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a, it, consider it an investment in your emotional health, and it's only through the Wounded Blue. So go to thewoundedblue.org, check it out, and join us.
And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's a long protracted commercial, I guess, in a way, but uh, it's, it's really important that, that uh, I get the word out about that. Well, so what else we got going today, right? Governor not, not showing up to a, a funeral in California. I mean, I know it's a big shock. Um, oh, you mean to tell me that Governor Newsom yeah, Governor Newsom, Governor good old Gavin Newsom um, decided to to skip Deputy Brian Ishmael's uh, funeral. It was last week. Um, and in California, it's it's I, I've been to many, many, many police funerals in California, as you can imagine. Um, it's it's a tradition that the governor shows up. Doesn't matter if they're Democrat, Republican. Um, it, it makes no difference. It's it's a traditional thing in this state for the governor to, sh to show up and participate in that ceremony. And uh, you know, just just a note on on where he's at, and and you know, we like to talk about California quite a bit and what a mess it is for the governor to just blow it off, not show up, you know, ignore the invitation. Um, and he was he was dealing with a, a power company issue that day rather than um, showing his support for a murdered deputy sheriff. Just enough to note it and, and drop it on this this show um, that it just continues. You know, the the hatred of law enforcement from from that that left side of the coast it's getting scary and you know it, it drag all the things happening in california you have that that da that just came into san francisco um i know we we oh, talked boy. about a, a little bit um in the past but you know you have a, a cop hating da that just was elected um literally it is pledging not to enforce any any quality of life crimes um, including public urination, defecation, um, you know, drug use out in the streets of San Francisco, and and not even talking about doing prostitution enforcement anymore. So, in a country where we're experiencing massive uh, amounts of, of sex trafficking, and that's a huge problem, especially in California because it's border adjacent, a massive problem. You know what, San Francisco, we're just not going to worry about any prostitution anymore. Just just do whatever you want. Like that's that's the mentality that we're we're taking here in California at the time. So. It's, uh, it's not getting any better on the left coast there, Randy. You know, let's talk about it. I'm glad you brought that up because this guy, um, Budin, his name, or Boudin, I don't know how you pronounce it. He comes from, uh, he comes from quite, a, uh, uh, <laughs> quite a background. Both of his parents are cop killers. Uh, both of his parents were members of the Weather Underground and uh, were, are, were both imprisoned on life sentences for killing two police officers and a Brinks security officer on, while doing a bank robbery. Um, in addition, um, so when they went to prison, this guy was brought up by two other terrorists, including Bill Ayers, who was Obama's right-hand man, who was also a member of a terrorist organization. So this guy comes from stock that is absolutely uh, the gene pool was really polluted here. And, and then after he graduated from law school, what does he do? He goes and he works for Hugo Chavez, the, the communist dictator of Venezuela. It, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, I, I've got one foot out the door of California. I'm ready to, to jump out of here. The, at the election event, the, the celebration for this guy's uh, DA election in, 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 you know, last week, there was a county supervisor. Now, this is in California, that's a big deal. Um, they, they, they're very powerful people. There's usually five per county, and they push all the funding. They're basically on the board of the county, right? So you have a county supervisor at the podium 
going F the POA, but they didn't say F, like F, F yeah. the Police Officers Association and doing a chant. That's, that's elected officials in, in public San Francisco life or, you know, in, in, out there in public in San Francisco. And that's just okay there. It's, it's gone so far that you can have cop hating, you know, from, from elected officials and nobody does anything. Those, I feel so bad for those San Francisco cops. I, I mean, it, it is a disaster out there. It is, it is, it is a disaster. And, but here's the thing, right? I, I mean, is it me, but this guy was elected. I mean, the voters voted him in. I mean, it was really close. I think it was just a couple of thousand people different between the other candidate who was an actual prosecutor, someone who was actually prosecuted crimes before. And he's this never guy, prosecuted a case, right? Never, never not never, once. Yeah. Never. And yet, the voters vote him in. So I, on one hand, I say, you know what? I just throw my hands up and go, you want him, you got him, and now you're going to pay the price for it. On the other hand, 50% of the other population, you know, tried to do the right thing. So you know that the victimization is going to skyrocket here. 100%. And who's, and who's going to pay the price? It's the, it's the good people who, who are trying to do the right thing. Yeah, it's the cops who have to live by these ridiculous rules, getting yep. all their tools taken away, and mm -hmm. it's the citizens. And it, there's such a divide now with a lot of these these elections. You're talking 50-50, you know, 40-60, whatever the split is, it's it's a good half on each side that are completely polarized against each other. Like, complete different views. We're not going to, one side's we're not going to enforce any rule of law. The other one is, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually do our job as a district attorney. And then they choose the other way, so everyone else is just screwed. It's, it keeps happening. These activist DAs are popping up all over the country. We've been talking about them for six months, um, and it just keeps getting worse. I think you have one on a uh, said activist DA, I believe. there. Right? I do, I do, I do. That's actually one of the stories I wanted to talk about today. And uh, this is out of Baltimore, which in essence was one of the um, one of the originators of the activist quote, unquote, uh, district attorney. Uh, Marilyn Mosby was elected under a similar platform uh, of, uh, of being an activist and not so much a district attorney. Now, this is several years ago. You remember the riots that they had there. Yep. And, um, and, and she was, uh, she was uh, elected, and her first action as a district attorney was to arrest a whole bunch of cops in the Freddie Gray investigation, where she showed her absolute, not only her incompetence, because she is a blithering, idiot, incompetent district attorney, but her social activism. She actually stood up on the, on the, the, the stairs of the Baltimore City Hall, announcing that this is her time to, and, and, and then announced that she's arresting a bunch of cops. Well, now she got her ass handed to her in court. Every one of those officers was found not guilty. Every one of them is back to work. They tried to sue her, but because she is uh, protected uh, by, uh, by legislation, uh, they couldn't sue her, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but she's back at it again. She is now, according to her, the police are the biggest threat to civil rights. The police. Wow. The police. Wow. And, and here's what she says. Black people are six times more likely 
to be arrested and become part of the criminal justice system than whites, she said. You have an over-militarization of police departments all across the country, racially unjust application of laws against poor black and brown people and collateral consequences of these convictions that have kept black and brown people and communities as second-class citizens. So, in other words, she is fanning the narrative that the police are the racist, um, violent, militarized racists that, that, uh, that, that she is claiming them to be, uh, fanning the, the more distrust and, uh, and, and further dividing our country. Yeah, fanning the fires of Ferguson, the big lies that get put out in the media. Um, it, it's more of the same, and, and it's so gross to see them pander to one side to get votes, just saying words they know aren't even true, and, and race baiting. Talk about militarizing police departments and sheriff's departments across this country. Um, that's not occurring, number one. Number two, yeah, so they have tactical vests and, 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 and AR-15s. Let's hope so, because have you seen some of the shootings that they've been involved in in the last two or three years? Has everyone forgotten about Dallas already, where five officers were shot? I mean, it's, it's case after case after case. You want the, the cops to show up at, at a school shooting with, with an armored Bearcat and, and all the rifles to take them on, but when it's to take on the gangster selling dope down the street, apparently you don't like it because it scares, scares the neighbors. I'm not sure yeah. how you win that argument, but... You know, it's, uh, it's just more of the same. It's just, it's just nonsense, and none of it has any root in, in truth. Well, let's look at, let's look at Baltimore, um, because uh, pr they practiced what they preached. When they were having the riots there, um, the, the police officers were ordered not to wear protective gear. They were ordered not to wear protective gear, and it led to disabling injuries and serious injuries of a whole bunch of cops who were pelted by bricks and bottles and rocks. And, uh, and because of this quote, uh, you know, over-militarization, um, the, uh, the, the law, well, in fact, it was the police department and the mayor at the time, along with Mosby, who determined that they weren't gonna be allowed to wear protective gear. And look, look where that got him. It's crazy. You know, politics, there's a certain time where politics do not belong in policing whatsoever. And that's when it's time to deploy and handle business. When you have active incidents, politicians need to go away. Those kinds of policies need to stay away. It's been going on for a long time. Out, out in LA, 1992, the Rodney King riots, Norm, the, the flashpoint at Florence and Normandy probably could have been handled if they would have rushed in and handled that in the very beginning and they chose not to and it spread citywide and thousands yeah. of homes and, and buildings burned. It was an absolute mess. It was over politics. You see that over and over in these incidents, standing down. We don't want to look too scary. We don't want to escalate by, by wearing, you know, extra armor or have riot gear. It, it's all nonsense. And, and the, I love the politicians, the, the, the way they try and spin the cops as the bad guys. It's always the cops that are the bad guys. Well, you know, what, and, and here's what's happening now. Um, we're seeing the lack of prosecution, just like we, we mentioned in the earlier uh, part of this um, about the San Francisco new district attorney, whose platform that got him elected was not prosecuting people. 
I, I mean, what, how incongruous is this that district attorneys are being elected on the platforms of not prosecuting people? Where did this nonsense, well, I actually, I know where this nonsense came from because it's being funded by people like George Soros who are actively picking um, districts to try and put their hand-chosen candidates in who follow their political leanings. And, uh, but here's the thing, we're seeing this over and over again now in major parts of the country. And just like when, when California shoved Proposition 47 down the <clears throat> throats of the voters by selling it as a cost-saving measure, now we're seeing an absolute avalanche of victimization uh, for all kinds of crimes. So I don't, know where, I don't know where this ends, though. I mean, where does this, where does this lead and where does this, you know, what's the answer to it? I, I just don't know. Well, I mean, I think it's oversight. And, we, and we've talked about that before a little bit. Like, it seems to me that, that prosecutors seem to enjoy the only, only profession that has no oversight whatsoever. Whether they're elected or not, yeah, cops have you know police chiefs and sheriffs have oversight. Um, everyone has oversight upon oversight upon civilian committee upon this and that in the law enforcement side. So since when do we have a spot where these DAs and prosecutors can come in and be all powerful and do whatever they want with with no recourse? Like that's where something needs to change. And with some of these judges, to be honest, too, there's some right. of these crazy case decisions coming out as well. Um, there. I think we're going to have to move into where they can't be this lone wolf prosecutor or judge and do whatever they want with, with nothing bad to, to follow. Um, and maybe it'll change a little bit, but even that, I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. So it's about accountability and there is no accountability. That's, that is, that is the long and short of it. Um, you, these, they're, they're ever more powerful because there is no, they're elected officials, and so there's there's no way to get them out of office uh, for the for at least the four years terms that they have. So they have they have free reign to uh, wreak havoc for at least four years. At which point, if the voters finally have enough, they say, "What what did we do here?" But right. I but I don't even know. I mean, the the voters of San Francisco knew what they were getting into with this guy, but they didn't care. That, that's, that's what they were looking for. That's the scariest part. Like, I, I don't know how the voters get to that point where they want no laws enforced. I don't know if they're just buying into the idea of it and don't think it through or what it is, but the other half of the people who voted the other way, I mean, that, that is a problem, the prosecutor problem, it's massive. There has to be some kind of way to, to collect that accountability, like you said, but I, I just don't know, man. I, I don't know how to, to fix that. It's, there shouldn't be the choice to, to enforce certain laws or not. If you're a prosecutor, if it's on the books, you should be prosecuting whether you like it or not. That's yep. what happens for cops. We, we, we enforce laws, even if we don't agree with them necessarily. So I just don't see how it's different for them. You know, I'm glad you brought that one up because that leads into the story that I want to talk about. Um, uh, every now and then I see a story that, that I just have to shake my head at. And actually I think it's more than every now and then. This, this was a video that came out <clears throat> in a news story. Um, BART is the, uh, is the train, uh, Bay Area Rapid Transit. 
and they have their own police department um, and they and they are governed by the laws of the state and then there are other laws that uh, that they that they create for that particular uh, mode of transportation so <clears throat> while California is decriminalizing basically freaking everything uh, drug sales drug use defecating on the on the sidewalk in front of your business um, burglary to cars they create a law <laughs> eating on the BART system is now against the law. They, they create a law that, that forbids eating when you're on the train or on the train platform. So they create a law, and then a police officer with the BART system sees a guy eating and goes to do an enforcement action and winds up arresting the guy, and now they're blaming the cop for enforcing the law that they created. Yeah, the BART is, right? Like, the BART came out and apologized yeah. after this. Yeah, they create the law. They're the ones that, that enacted it. And then when this poor cop actually has to enforce the damn thing, then they come down on the cop like he's the idiot. Right. It, you know, and, and the BART, let's, let's not forget the BART serves East Bay and San Francisco where this new DA is. <laughs> so, so we're asking these BART cops to enforce a no eating policy <laughs> on a system where the DA won't even enforce hardly anything sort of a felony. So how, how are these cops supposed to win? My, my advice is like, hey, you know what? You know what, BART cops? I, I would steer clear of all of this nonsense, little infraction stuff, because clearly the agency above you and the community does not have your back. Um, if, if they want lawlessness, I would give it to them. I would let them eat all the sandwiches they could. Hell, I'll sell them sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 but you know, you you look at this and you go, what what insane world are we living in, where? Where the lawmakers will will uh, enact laws that uh, decriminalize, I mean, pretty much everything. You can pretty much do anything other than, uh, you know, except for violent crime, and and they don't even enforce that very well. Yeah. Uh, but yet they will they'll create another law to do something as ridiculous as outlaw eating. Outlaw eating. I mean, right. who, who's the idiot that made this law up? Well, it's one of those things where these, these lawmakers, they, they put together these laws that they think and sound good on paper without any thought whatsoever of, hey, somewhere someone's going to have to enforce this, and it could go sideways. What happens if this detention of this officer, which is completely lawful, um, it's a law that's on the books that they want to enforce, what happens if that detention turns into a fight? What happens if that detention right. turns into to even worse? A shooting. What yeah. happens then? You, anytime you're putting a law on the books, you have to think about this needs to be enforced by a law officer at some point, and it could go sideways. Is it worth it? There is the law of unintended consequences, and that's you know, and and, and that's the reality that that quite literally any interaction that a law enforcement officer has with a citizen can wind up in a fatal. A, a fatal a fatality. I mean, that's the reality of policing. Um, when you take an enforcement action, uh, 
you're, you have the potential there of, of becoming either a victim of, of, a, uh, of a serious assault or you are going to wind up in a fight for your life. That's the reality of policing. So, you know, the, the, you know, the, at least make it freaking worthwhile, you know, make it, make it for, for, some, for something that, that, that has a, an impact on society. Don't create some goofy law like, uh, you know, no sandwiches. You're not allowed to eat a sandwich on, on the BART system. Yeah, and then not back your guy when, when they actually enforce it. Come exactly. on. What do you want from these people? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I look at these, I look at this mess, and then, you know, you look at this, this officer, he, he didn't want to even bother enforcing this, but it's his job. And he took his job seriously enough to, to, to do something, uh, even though he, you know, knows how ridiculous it is. And then, uh, and then he gets, he gets, he gets turned on like a, like a, you know, a rabid, their rabid dog turns on their, on the owner, you know? They're suing him too. I saw that he, there's already a lawsuit brewing on this. Oh, of course, of course there is. <laughs> of course, there has to be a lawsuit involved. Oh my God, it's just the, the insanity. So, you know, why we're talking about, um, about the, the criminal injustice system. You know, uh, we, uh, um, last week, the governor of Oklahoma um, did the biggest mass release of inmates in history. They released almost 600 inmates from state prison. And uh, this is in wake of um, the new criminal justice reforms that have been voted in, very similar to Proposition 47. Apparently, no one is learning the lessons, right? No one's learning the lessons of what happens when you decriminalize everything. So now, here's a, here's a headline for you. Crime surges in Oklahoma in wake of criminal justice reforms. Who could have, what a seen, shock. Who could have seen that one coming? What a sh- I can't believe that's <laughs> true, Randy. No, tell me more. I, ca- I can't believe this. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's it's crazy for them to not see what happened in California and then take the same route and think you're going to get a different result. Like it's it's well known that that Prop 47 has literally driven California down. Like 700,000 people moved out of California last year, and there's a reason for it. So just continue to decriminalize everything, Oklahoma. Let everyone out of jail. I'm I'm scared to know what's going to happen to those 600 inmates that were released, how many murders, violent crimes, thefts, assaults, all of the things are going to be occurred by them particularly. I guarantee it's going to happen. Without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, so uh, here, Oklahoma law enforcement agencies have observed a surge in crime following a 2017 law change that reclassified certain drug and theft offenses from felonies to misdemeanors. Exactly what they did in California, exactly. And um, after the law changes went into effect, officers began noticing, quote, a steady increase of thefts. Well, gee, that's a shock. Uh, and, and they're finding that the, uh, the people who are doing these, threat, these thefts, they, they, they raised the, the uh, misdemeanor to felony level up to $1,000. So. In other words, you can steal up to $1,000 a day in 
in goods or money, and it's a misdemeanor, which means it's a ticket, if they bother to even enforce that. So these, uh, these uh, law, the, the law enforcement officers who are now seeing this, this surge in crimes said that guys are walking in there with calculators, and they're, they're, they're adding up, okay, $995, let's go. Right? Why wouldn't they? they they're playing the system. They Why know wouldn't they're, they? They're, they're not idiots. They know that if they push that, that big card out of Walmart with 990 bucks on there, if they get caught, it's probably going to be a ticket and not even a ride to jail. And that's the reality of it. They, they, you give them these tools, they're going to they're gonna push right up to the line every time. Um, and it's, I can't believe they're doing it again like in these other states. They're just crazy, man. It's, it's insane. So, so just for the listeners, so you know uh, the – the insanity of this, the reality. You have a whole list of sto- you have a whole bunch of stores right in front of you that you're you're walking down this, uh, this the the business district of your of your town. You go into store A, <clears throat> you steal nine hundred ninety five dollars worth of stuff, misdemeanor. Go to store B, steal nine hundred ninety five dollars worth of stuff, misdemeanor. You could do that all the way down the block. You could literally steal tens of thousands of dollars in merchandise and not face felony crimes. Yeah, and they sell the, these, these laws like they're, they're reforming you know, criminal justice and it's going to ease overcrowding. In the, they sell it with all these nonsense you know, talking points. Um, and it's just not the reality of what occurs. All they're doing is taking away tools of law enforcement to solve problems, period. When you can't solve them on the street, they just keep happening. Well, talk about judges. <clears throat> This was, this was a disturbing headline. Judge bans uniformed officers from the courtroom. Now, this is a particularly sensitive issue. Uh, Superior Court judge in Massachusetts, uh, dozens of uniformed Massachusetts State Police troopers were banned from entering the courtroom to witness the verdict of a suspect accused of killing a law enforcement officer. Now, explain this to me. He's it's being, the, he's it's being, the verdict, right? Not, not, not witness intimidation or during the trial, right? Yes. It's the verdict. Yes. That's okay. it. Just checking. Just checking. The verdict. It can't have any effect on the trial because it, the trial is over. And yet this judge, this cretinous judge, rules that, oh, my goodness, I mean, we can't have the police there in uniform. I, it's just, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling. So I, I and, and, and she tries to explain herself, and she sounds like an idiot. I just don't see the, the wisdom in it. Like, look, there's an argument um, on, on, on a cop-killing case if, if, you know, the witnesses are on the stand and you have a, a courtroom with 150 uniform officers, maybe you could make that argument. Maybe. Right, right. But, in a verdict, that's just disrespectful. 100% disrespect for law enforcement. That's something that they're trying to show support to that family um, of that officer, and, and they're taking that away from them. I think that's exactly what it is. That's a, I mean, this is one of those things that's very, very, very uh, emotional for law enforcement when uh, you know the, the the killer of of a of a police officer is you know finally going to be brought to justice as a symbol of respect for that family of that officer and the officer himself. Uh, these officers, uh, you know, dress in their, in their uniforms to attend the, to attend the, the, uh, 
you know, the sentencing for the verdict. It's just crazy, man. Just crazy. More activist judges, guaranteed. That's what more activist judges. That's exactly right. And you know, then we have uh, then we have De Blasio. <laughs> and then what has he have, done this week? I can't wait. <laughs> he's uh, between him and Bloomberg. Now, Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, who was actually a pretty good mayor, um, is now entering the presidential race. And what's the first thing that he does? He apologizes. <laughs> he apologizes for the police actions that made it one of the safest cities in the country. Hey, but after stop and frisk, the thing that's, that turned New York completely clean, they cleaned up the entire city basically with that policy. He, he was all about it when he was mayor because it worked. And now he's like, ooh, I'm about to file my presidential papers. Um, you know what? They're not going <laughs> to like this. So I better bash the cops and say this is bad. But that's all this is. It's, it's just more pandering. It's it is absolute pandering. And, you know, I, one thing I, I, I love, love to see, I love to see the reaction from the New York police unions when, when their idiotic mayor and, and governor do the stupid things that they do, the anti-law enforcement. Um, actions that they do. They do not hold back. You know, that all, that New York comes out in them. And I, I love to see it. Because they came out, they came out right away and they just denounced, denounced the hell out of them, which I love to see. Yeah, you know, PBA on Twitter for, for NYPD is, is, is the best place to follow on Twitter. I'm telling you, it's, it's very entertaining. They are hardcore. They don't care. <laughs> They're immediate to respond. I love them. And, and, you know, de Blasio, um, with his, he's, he lives in a dreamland. He came out last week and said that, uh, that, uh, that the, the police love him, that he, yeah, he's, I don't know what, I don't know what he's smoking, but he actually came out and said that, that the, that the police officers in NYPD respect him and, and he gets along very well with them. Uh, he, I don't know what planet he's on. It's it's he's living in another dreamland. Is that what happens when you get rich? I guess so. Every you know, you just don't have any connection to reality anymore. What's happening with regular people with, with the normies, right? Um, it's he's also the one saying that you know, oh, you know, there's no problem with community relations with the NYPD and the community. Everybody loves the cops, except yeah, for they're yeah. stacking trash on their cars and you know, dousing with water and trying like. Dirt bike gangs are circling cops at gas stations. It's crazy. Oh, out there. oh I'm, glad you brought that, I'm glad you brought that one up. I, I mean, that was like, do you remember a movie uh, with Michael Douglas and, um, oh, God, what was the other guy's name? It was, um, they, were, they were in Japan and they were investigating a murder and, uh, and, and a biker gang surrounded them. It's, it looked exactly like what we just saw in reality, where this gang of, of, of punks on dirt bikes surrounded a police officer who was trying to, to simply recover a, a, a bike after the guy fled from him. And, I mean, it was scary looking, man. They were, they were trying to, they were trying to uh, intimidate him yep. and also uh, attack him. Yeah, 100%. The, the, the lack of respect 
on the streets for NYPD right now is scary and it's going to get people hurt and it's politically driven from the top. It, it's a bad spot for those guys as well. I feel bad for NYPD. I feel bad for all these, these coppers in these cities with these activist politicians. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's awful to see it. Oh, I remember the movie. It was black rain. Black now I'm going to have to watch that. I'm going to have to get on Netflix later. It's a great movie. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of running out of time here, right? Uh, where can, uh, where can folks find you and, and uh, you know, tell them a little bit about what you're doing. Sure. The, uh, the best place to find me is at thinblueliner.com. You can connect up with, we've got support police communities of over a million uh, followers on, on different platforms, especially Facebook. And we're about to launch a new brand called America's Keepers that is oh, yeah. pro-police, pro-military, pro-vet, all, all the good things and a bunch of different things with a new coffee line coming with it, some cool apparel and all that's coming in the next couple of weeks. That's exciting, and we will be watching for that. And so uh, to my listeners, follow me on my Facebook page, which is the Voice of American Law Enforcement. If you're a Twitter, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. Uh, I urge you to watch our documentary film, The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You can find it on Amazon and iTunes. Uh, go to our, our website, thewoundedblue.org. Join us. Uh, whether you're law enforcement or not, there is a place for you in this organization. Thanks so much. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people... AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. Unfortunately, this week I have two names to read. The first is Deputy Sheriff McKeem Brooks of the Northampton County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina. Deputy Sheriff McKeem Brooks was killed in a single vehicle crash while responding to a shots fired call at approximately 11.30 p.m. He was driving on Highway 158, just outside of Garysburg, when his patrol car left the roadway, entered a ditch, and overturned several times. He was transported to a local hospital, where he died 30 minutes later. Deputy Brooks had served with the Northampton County Sheriff's Office for only six months. He is survived by several children. Deputy Sheriff McKeem Brooks, Northampton County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina. End of Watch, Wednesday, November 13th. 2019. The second law enforcement officer to die in the line of duty. Deputy Sheriff Stephen Reese of the Cheatham County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee. Deputy Sheriff Stephen Reese. He was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of Oak Plains Road and Route 41A South in Montgomery County, 2.15 p.m. His patrol car was struck as it entered the highway. 
Deputy Reese was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran of Operation Desert Storm and has served in law enforcement 24 years. He is survived by his wife, two children, and three siblings. Deputy Sheriff Stephen Reese, Cheatham County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee. End of watch, Friday, November 15th, 2019. May these officers rest in peace. I've got an announcement to make. It's about a new company. And uh, it's a company that is near and dear to my heart because I'm part of it. And not only am I part of it, but this company was created to help injured and disabled law enforcement officers. This company is called Law Dog Coffee Company. That's right. Law Dog Coffee Company. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. Oh, yeah. Now, I got to tell you, I love coffee. I've been drinking it since I was a wee lad. And uh, there's nothing better than sitting in a cold patrol car with a hot cup of coffee. And we have done a deal with the Costa Rican government to bring in some of the finest ethically grown coffee that is, that is available anywhere. It is delicious. And uh, you got to get yourself a bag of it. Go to LawDogCoffeeCompany.com. That's LawDogCoffeeCompany.com. Get yourself a couple bags of, of uh, fantastic premium coffee. And then get to me on Facebook and tell me what you think about it. Law Dog Coffee Company. Tastes so good. Ought to be illegal. Thanks for tuning in this week to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. I would ask that you uh, join me on Facebook at The Voice of American Law Enforcement. If you're a Twitter, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. And always support wounded and disabled police officers by going to thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And do what you can to help these men and women who have sacrificed so much for their communities. 